Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you. And there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. When we left off last time, there was a riot happening in Ephesus. It it was led by a guy named Demetrius who'd recruited his fellow silversmiths and it was a response to the drop off in sales of the idols that they produced being caused by Paul leading so many people to Jesus in the city. And the protest, it quickly got out of hand. It quickly got out of control. People filled the streets shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And even though the vast majority of the people didn't even know why they were protesting, it culminated with the crowd filling the 19,000 seat theater where they chanted over and over and over for over two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And it took the chief executive of Ephesus, a guy who held the highest elected office in the city and ultimately was responsible for the civic order to finally put a stop to it. And Paul, he was desperate to go. He was desperate to address the crowd, but he was convinced both by his disciples and his friends, the Asiarchs, not to risk his life in the process. But after this uproar, Paul knew it was time to move on. It was time to fulfill the plan to return to Macedonia, Southern Greece, and then on to Jerusalem to deliver the offering he'd collected for their church from the churches that he'd started. True to form for Paul's life though, things didn't go exactly as planned. I wanna talk about that in a message that we're calling The Response. So Paul really wanted to go straight to Corinth, but he couldn't. He couldn't because of fake news. He couldn't because there were all these conspiracies going around Corinth, conspiracy theories particularly about him. Theories about how he wasn't actually even qualified to be an apostle. And this wasn't the first time something like this happened to Paul. As as he traveled throughout the Roman Empire preaching Jesus, others would come along behind him and try to steal his new converts looking to make them their own disciples. It wasn't for the sake of the gospel, it was about money. This was big business since these apostles required not only total unquestioning devotion to them, but for their followers to completely financially support them. In other words, they were apostles for hire. Quite frankly, stealing followers was much easier than making them. Paul, on the other hand, although he periodically received financial support from his followers, he never required it, which gave him this pure love, this pure concern for his people, evidenced in the fact that just before the riot, being nervous that his letter to the Corinthians had been too strong, 
He sent his friend Titus to investigate the situation. They determined that they'd meet later in Troas, where Paul would preach and Titus would give the report. When Paul reached Troas, though, he couldn't focus on preaching. He said, my mind couldn't rest because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and I went on to Macedonia. He needed to find Titus, which he did in Philippi. And when they met, Titus carried really good news. The Corinthians had taken the punishing parts of Paul's letter in the right spirit. It hurt, but they were eager to redeem themselves. They longed to see Paul again. And they'd treated Titus with such respect, with such affection that Paul beamed with pride, so much so that he'd write, we've been delighted beyond everything by seeing how happy Titus is. You've helped to set his mind completely at rest. Anything I may have said to him to show my pride in you has just been totally justified. But the situation in Corinth, it was far from perfect. A group of influencers in the church, they were disgruntled with Paul. They complained that by changing his plan to come to them directly from Ephesus, he had played it fast and played it loose. They sowed discord. They suggested that he wasn't trustworthy. Add to that the arrival of these convert-stealing apostles in the city, spreading this fake news and creating these conspiracy theories about Paul, things were suddenly tense. Paul knew now was not the time to return. So instead, he'd write them another letter. It's a letter we now know as the biblical book of 2 Corinthians. And it was probably the most pastoral of all the letters he would write to any of his churches, even though he was hurt and deeply offended by their doubts. It was evidenced by some of the words he uses early in the letter. He says, our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We've done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. For we don't write you anything you can't read or anything you can't understand. And I hope that as you've understood us in part, you'll come to fully understand that you can boast of us just as we'll boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that it might benefit you twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you on my way back from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you isn't yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it's always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, which means yes, is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what's to come. I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you from a severe rebuke that I didn't return to Corinth. Paul honestly couldn't believe he was having to defend himself against these false apostles, especially to people he'd led to Jesus, people he considered his spiritual children. People who, before meeting Paul, 
were trapped deeply in sexual perversion and immorality, who before Paul had no concept of true love. But now they demanded proof of his commission? It was all the more reason for him to hesitate in coming to their city. He didn't want to have a confrontation with them and say something he may regret. He, he may have even thought back to the heated confrontation he'd had all those years before with Barnabas that resulted in a broken relationship. But these new teachers, these new apostles, they pointed out how he carried no letters of commendation from Jerusalem. He didn't live like a real Jew. He refused payment. To top it off, he was weak, two-faced, a coward. They proposed that he talked tough in his letters but he relented, he backed down when face to face. A real apostle, on the other hand, should manage his flock by force. They should demand respect, demand obedience. It was such a distorted, disfigured corruption of what Jesus had called Paul, and consequently all Christian leaders too. So Paul, he responds. He says, I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. But I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach such things. I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We've made this clear to you in every possible way. Was I wrong when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return? I mean, I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so I could serve you at no cost. And when I was with you and didn't have enough to live on, I didn't become a financial burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, they brought me all that I needed. I've never been a burden to you and I never will. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, no one in all Greece will ever stop me from boasting about this. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows that I do. But I'll continue doing what I've always done and this will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. And as angry as these apostles' accusations made him, he wasn't unprepared for their attacks, and he doesn't hesitate in calling them out for exactly what they are. He says, they're counterfeit apostles. They're dishonest workmen disguised as apostles of Christ. There's nothing surprising about it. If Satan himself goes disguised as an angel of light, there's no need to be surprised when his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness too. But then he promises, don't worry they're gonna to come to the end that they deserve. And these super apostles, they abused their position and power and prided themselves in lording over people, which is the antithesis of what spiritual leadership should look like. The qualifications of a spiritual leader are not the same as the qualifications of worldly leaders. I mean, according to worldly standards, Paul had every right to lord over his people, but he chose not to. In fact, he said, Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reasons for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. 
I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and as far as righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable though, but now I considered them worthless because of what Jesus has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus. For his sake, I've discarded everything else. I've counted it all as garbage so that I can gain Jesus and become one with him. Paul, he understood how the hierarchy of leadership works in God's kingdom. That the last shall be first and the first shall be last. That the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. That true leadership comes through humility and that humility comes from the fact that we know we are not the source. That even though the world tells us to celebrate and elevate ourselves, God tells us to humble ourselves. But that if we'll humble ourselves, He will lift us up. And that definition of leadership got me to thinking this week about all the selfless servants who are being forgotten in the midst of this pandemic. I mean, obviously we wanna think of and honor our first responders, all our medical workers and firefighters, police and EMTs, but I was really thinking about some of those heroes who go unnoticed, those people who often go overlooked, like teachers or daycare workers who sacrifice themselves so our kids can be educated or cared for like restaurant employees or delivery drivers, gas station employees or grocery store employees like my friend Chandra. She's an orphan who was put in the foster care system at seven years old when her mother was sent to prison. But somehow she found Jesus and graduated from the Accelerate Life Skills and Discipleship School and moved to Steubenville, Ohio to try to meet her birth mother. When her mother refused to get off drugs, Chandra refused to give up. She stayed in town to try to make it work and she works at a grocery store. She puts her life on the line every day so people can have food on their tables and so she can afford to live in an apartment and be Jesus with skin on to a strung out absentee mother that the rest of society has moved on from. These are the people who are forgotten. These are their stories. These are the selfless servants. And this is the response Jesus asked of spiritual leaders, that there is no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. So I had a thought this week. What if rather than just having a spiritual response to this message, we had a practical response? What if rather than acting like these super apostles and leading through power and pride, we acted like the apostle Paul and led through humility? Like, what if you found one of these selfless servants this week and you blessed them? You gave them a gift card or you offered to watch their kids. You sent them dinner through Uber Eats or Grubhub. You cut their lawn while they were at work or sent them to a spa for the day. Like, what if you gave my friend Chandra money for gas or insurance on her car? You can send it to us and we'll get it to her. Or you can just give to somebody who you know. But maybe you don't have any extra money. So what if you just blessed them with your words? What if while they served you, you looked them in the eye and said, thank you, I appreciate you, you're valuable. My life wouldn't be the same without you. It may sound small, but all I'm saying is if that was your response to them, what do you think their response would be to you? But better yet, 
If that was your response to them, what do you think their response would be to Jesus? I bet you want to find out now, don't you? Well, there's only one response. There's nothing to it but to do it. You know, before you can do it for someone else, maybe you need to do it for yourself. You know, in the church world, we have this word, it is salvation. And sometimes we take that word for granted. Not only do we take the word for granted, but we take the action for granted. Salvation is a spiritual rescuing. You know, scripture says that the wages of sin is death. The thing that you've earned, the thing that you deserve is eternal spiritual death, separation from God. But the gift of God is undeserved, unmerited, eternal life. That's salvation. So maybe you're watching this and you need that. You say, you know what? I feel like I've been forgotten. I feel like I'm going nowhere. Can I tell you there's only one hope and his name is Jesus. And so today we want to give you the opportunity to receive him. And by receiving him, you enter into a personal relationship with him. And you never have to walk through life alone again. And so it's not a complicated process. It's super easy. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that you're a sinner and believe that Jesus can forgive you of those sins, you will be saved. So today we're gonna give you opportunity to do that. Here's how, in just a minute, I'm gonna say a few lines in a prayer and then I'm gonna pause. And the Bible says, if you repeat those words and you mean them in your heart, you will be saved. So if you need Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior today, would you just repeat these after me? Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, you've just made the most important monumental decision that you'll ever make. And it won't always be easy. It's gonna be a process. It's gonna be a journey away from who you are toward who Jesus wants you to be, which is more like him. So we want the opportunity to walk that with you. So would you just reach out to us? Would you message us and let us know that you made this decision so that we can become a part of your life and you can become a part of ours. But this isn't it. Maybe you're a Jesus guy or you're a Jesus girl and you say, you know what? I know that I'm going to heaven, but you also know that you haven't been serving. You say, Sean, I need to find a selfless servant and I want to bless them today. If that's you, let me pray for you. God, we love you. We honor you. Thank you for my friends on here who are so blessed. God, I pray that self-included, you'll help us find people today who feel ignored, who feel unnoticed, who feel unimportant, and that you'll use us to bless them and point them to you. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.